testimony tonight before we get into God's Word. The book of Esther. I knew Cheryl would come back tonight. I don't care how tired she was. <laughs> I'm glad you're doing okay, Cheryl. I kind of worried about you this morning. Chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. We'll read from verse 12 to 16, our text from last Sunday night. We're looking at overcoming fear of the future. Esther 4, verse 12. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther. Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether hold, holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return to Mordecai this answer. Go. Gather all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, nights, or day. I also and my maidens will, like, will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, wow. I perish. I'm going to repeat some of what I said last Sunday night. Because I consider it to be very true. There's no book like this book. Over 40 years now, I've read this book. I never grow tired of reading God's Word. And there are times I have to remind myself it is God's Word. It doesn't just contain God's Word. It is God's Word. It's the only book that I know that tells the truth, the whole truth. Nothing but the truth. And I think you'll agree, because most of you have at least a good knowledge, working knowledge of the Scripture. There's some stories I would have left out. I mean, I love King David, but I sure would have told about what happened with him and Bathsheba. I wouldn't have mentioned the time when Noah got drunk. The things we talked about this morning. But God tells the whole truth, warts and all. He came to us when we couldn't come to him. He's written a love letter, a letter from God, an amazing book. I mentioned last week that when Paul was writing Timothy, he reminded Timothy that in the last days, perilous times are going to come. And from the time of the resurrection of Christ, every generation has lived in the last days. 
of all the things I don't know about the future, one thing I know, we're closer to heaven today than we were yesterday. And that will continue day by day. And we know what the scripture says, and we're aware of that. And yet somehow life goes on. Even though there are some quite a bit of uncertainty in our life. Doesn't matter who you are. I don't know if I actually thought this or not, but I sure hope that one of these days I get old enough and I wouldn't worry anymore. I'm not old enough for that yet. <laughs> My uncle sent me a birthday card. He thinks he's funny. He said it's official. You're old. Now, he's one year older than I am, by the way. But I still, we have uncertainties in our lives. Fears, concerns. And we know that our world's in trouble. Everywhere we look and the news we hear. But we have to confess that our deepest concerns live in our house. Things we face every day of our life. So how do we overcome that fear? How do we move from fear to faith? We sang that hymn this morning. I love that little hymn. I just keep trusting the Lord. That's easy for me to sing on Sunday morning. But some days we wonder. So how do we move from fear to faith? So that's why we're looking at the book of Esther. We began that last week. Trying to look at some principles we can glean from that story. Now one thing I like about God's Word, of the many things, it's contemporary. It was good then and it's good now. It applied to life then, it applies to life now. And the story of Esther took place about 2,500 years ago. And you have to admit, the book of Esther is an amazing story. It's an amazing story of courage. It points to a way of life free from consuming fear over what might happen tomorrow. We won't spend a lot of time introducing the character. We did that last week, but there was a king called Ahasuerus, the king of the Mede-Persia Empire. Also, sort of mentioned early on in the book, was a man named Mordecai. And he happened to serve somehow in the palace. And we're not for sure what he did, but some believe he might have taken care of the finances. That doesn't matter. He had a place in the palace. And then in verse 7 of chapter 2, we're introduced to a woman. Her Jewish name was Hadassah. Look what it says. And he, this is talking about Mordecai, brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. And the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. 
So we got a king, Ahasuerus, a man named Mordecai, a Jewish woman named Hadassah. Now, by the way, we just read from chapter 2. We're early on in the story. What, what's the point of that? What does it matter that there was a Jewish woman? What does it matter that Mordecai is mentioned? We also mentioned last week that Ahasuerus threw a tremendous banquet. It lasted at least for 180 days to begin with. But it went so well that he added seven more days to it. But at the end of the banquet, everybody was well drunk, and he orders Vashti to come to the banquet, and she refuses to come. We're not told how much time passes by, but has a rare realizes he's made a mistake. But the sad thing, according to Jewish, I mean, the, not Jewish, the Persian media law, once you made a decree, you could, you could not reverse it. So you couldn't change that. And so his officials and the cabinet, wherever they were, said, hey, we got a plan. Let's groom some women, and you pick. Pick one of them to be your next queen. And that's how a Jewish princess became a queen. But there's also a man named Haman coming in the picture. Cheryl loves to hang him. Uh, and you know who he was, and uh, second in command, if you will, to the king. And because of who he was, all the other nobles were expected to bow down to him. And Mordecai says, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm a Jew, and the only one I bow to is God. And you know the story didn't set well with Haman. So through a little bit of finagling and quite a bit of untruthfulness, he convinces the king there's a people that are going to cause you trouble. So in the end, an edict was set out by the king with the king's signature. Of course, Haman was the one that did it. Every Jew in the empire, 127 provinces, were to be annihilated. Get rid of the Jew. We can imagine how Mordecai felt. He begins to mourn, put on sackcloth and ashes, and everybody who walked by and saw him realized he was in great distress. And why not? And the fact of the matter, I don't know how, how long it took, but there was an urgency on this, but it soon reached Jews everywhere. And Jews across the empire, no doubt, had the same response. We are going to die. For whatever reason, it appears that Esther doesn't know about that edict. Because she asked, why are you mourning? Or she sent a messenger to ask Mordecai that. He gives the messenger a copy of it to give to Esther. And to share how it all came about, get the details. And he says to Esther, or the messenger, go tell Esther 
could go to the king on behalf of all the Jews and beg for their lives. How many know they need a reprieve? If something didn't happen, all the Jewish people would die. Let me interject here. But we know Mordecai didn't realize that could never happen. The Jews could never be annihilated. Now certainly there could have been a lot of them killed. and would have been. Esther replies back through the messenger to Mordecai, not so encouraging. She reminds him, you need to understand, I just cannot simply walk in to speak to the king. I just can't show up unannounced, uninvited. I mean, he hasn't even asked me for the last 30 days. And if I walk in there and he's not happy, he could have me killed. So what's Esther do? She's counting the cost. And Mordecai says, Esther, you've got to do it. You've got to save us. And I said, Mordecai, you don't understand. You don't understand what you are asking me to do. Now, she's not saying, no, I won't do it. She's saying to Mordecai, do you realize what it might cost me? What it is going to cost me? If I go in there and the king doesn't want to see me, he's going to put me to death. She was counting the cost. I want to remind you again of what I reminded you of last week. Anytime we choose to get involved, there'll be personal cost. You can't avoid it. It will cost you something. So Esther says to Mordecai, I want you to know if I do what you're asking me to do, I'm putting my life in my own hands. I'm considering the cost. Then there's a reality. There is the reality. The cost can be very, very high. So the messenger goes back. And he tells Mordecai what Esther had said. In our text tonight, in Esther chapter 4, is really the heart of the book of Esther. Look again at what it says. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to a kingdom, to the kingdom for such a time as this.
Mordecai really points out three things to Esther. He reminds her of three things that are important. The first thing he reminds her of, Esther, you're a Jew. Just like me, just like all of the others. Verse 13, think not with thyself, thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. Mordecai says, Esther, if you don't do something, if you say, no, I'm not going to do it, one thing you have to know, you're going to surely die. It doesn't matter that you're a member of the royal household. You cannot hope to escape the planned genocide. You are going to die. Now you think about this, folks. Haman was urgent. And the Jews were not liked well anyway to begin with. And once the killing started, it would be hard to stop. Very difficult to stop. Once the crowds began killing the Jews one by one, certainly they would start with the common people. Mordecai, but Esther, you've got to understand something. Before long, before it's over, it'll be on your doorstep. You're a Jew like the rest of us. Because they won't stop. They will not stop until they've killed every Jew, including you, Esther, and your family. You are a Jew. Don't, don't think for a moment because you're the queen. Exempts you from what's going to happen. You're not out of trouble. You are not out of trouble. You might be the last to go. But if the attic is carried out to the full extent, you will go. And by the way, from this, we need to understand. There is no safety in this world. I don't care how rich you are, how wealthy you are, how, how great an intellect you might have, how powerful. Riches cannot keep anyone from the troubles of this world. I am glad this world is not my home. So number one, Esther, let me remind you, you're a Jew. Number two, Esther, let me remind you of this. God is in control. Aren't you glad for that? Now, he doesn't say the word God. We'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 14, Esther 4. Then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. Esther, if you decide to remain silent, mark it down. Intervention is going to come from another source, but you and your family are going to be brought down. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will certainly arise from somewhere else. Now, by the way, <clears throat> this is probably one of the most amazing statements of the entire Old Testament. Without a doubt, it's the most amazing statement in the book of Esther. Now, remember, we mentioned last week the word God, or the divine name of God, is not mentioned here. You would expect it to be, but it's not mentioned here. It'd be natural to see it there. In fact, uh, nowhere in the book of Esther is the name of God mentioned. 
But understand, you cannot read the story of Esther and not admit that God is strongly implied. Someone is in control. And Mordecai is implying that help is going to come from somewhere. As I thought about this two weeks ago, I, I thought to myself, you know what, the thing we've got to remember, and I know we call it the book of Esther because it's about her, but the fact of the matter, this is not Esther's story. This is not Mordecai's story. This is not Haman's story. This is not Ahasuerus' story. This is God's story. This is God's story. Now remember, these were God's chosen people. They were from the seed of Abraham. They were the covenant people of God. And they could never be annihilated then or any time. God would never allow it to happen. I was reading again today a little bit about Esther and Mordecai, and we certainly don't consider them as extra righteous, but they had to be people of faith. They had to believe in God because they were Jews, and Jews believed in God. So that's what made them Jews. And so even though the name of God is never mentioned, the providence of God is also something we learn from the story, the book of Esther. You're a Jew. God is in control. If you don't help us, God is able to help us from another source, but you'll be destroyed. But then he says, by the way, who knows? Who knows? but that you are come to the royal position for such a time as this. I mentioned my grandmother earlier in her service, and I have no doubt that I'm where I'm at because of her prayers for me. There's no doubt about it. I mentioned early on, years ago, even at my ordination service, I remember when I was graduating high school and she gave me a, a graduation card and my grandparents didn't have much money. And that was the time I wasn't saved. But I never forgot, she wrote in that card, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. Years have come and gone, but she gave me the best thing she ever could. <laughs> When I became, when I began to struggle, when I felt like God was calling me into the ministry, and I wanted to make sure, and you have to know, I called my grandmother, and she said, "Son, who knows whether or not God puts you in a place at such a time as this." <laughs> Aren't you glad for God's word? 
for people who know God's word. That's what Mordecai says. Consider the fact that there's a reason. There's a reason you are where you are. And he says, wait a minute, Esther, don't forget where you came from. There was a time when you were lined up with all those other women in that harem, vying for the queen's position. You ate the same food they did. You ate at the same table with them. You dressed the way they dressed. And you acted just like them. Nobody knew you were a Jew. So Esther, what what made the king pick you out? Why did he choose you? Do you think of it because of your good looks? They were all good looking. Do you think it was your smile? They could all smile. Do you think it was the way you flirted? They could all flirt. Why do you think you are where you are? You're a Jew. God's control. The third thing, providence is at work. Again, verse 14. Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Esther, you're sitting here. You're a queen. You are the queen. You've got it all. You're on top. You've got privilege beyond anybody else in the whole kingdom. Do you think that was by chance? Do you think it was just a coincidence? Esther, the reason you are where you are is because of the providence of God. That's what he's implying here. Because God put you there. Do you know why God put you there? He put you there because God knew there was a crucial moment of history was going to come. And you could say the word and save your people. All that training you went through, it happened so God could use you and would use you in such a time as this, to deliver his people. (laughs) Now think about this. What a way of looking at the circumstance of life. What a way of understanding the work of God. What a view of history. Esther, who knows? But that you were put here in that position, in that royal position, for this particular time. For this moment in history. Who knows, Esther, that you are here for that one thing. 
providence of God at work. And everything that has happened to you has prepared you for this moment. Now, we began last week introducing all these characters, the king, Haman, How many know that God knew the story before it happened? He was already turning the wheels, putting them in motion to deliver his people. Now, don't miss this principle. As Mordecai reminds Esther, his appeal is based on, I think, a very great principle. The greater the privilege, the greater the responsibility. Esther, God has given you a great privilege. A privilege we would have never dreamed a Jewish woman could have in a foreign land. But Esther, you have to realize, with that great privilege you have, you also have a great responsibility. Folks, let me remind you, the more we have, the more we have to answer for. The more God has given us, the greater our responsibility to use it for his kingdom. Go to verse 15, chapter 4. Look at Esther's second response. Then Esther bade them return to Mordecai this answer. Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan. And fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maiden will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law, and that said, if I perish, I perish. What a statement of faith. What a statement of faith. If I perish, I perish. Now, by the way, it doesn't say here, but I would think, especially the Jews, do you think that they fasted, since they fasted for three days and three nights, you think they might have prayed during that time? There's no doubt about it. There is no doubt about it. Well, that's the story in a nutshell. That was then. What did we learn? What did we learn from this story? What does it tell us about overcoming our own fear of the future? We've already kind of mentioned one already, but number one, there is no safety in this world. Have you ever asked yourself, why do bad things happen to good people? How many know that bad things happen to all people? To all of us. All the time. Sometimes they appear to be random acts of tragedy. Sometimes evil people conspire against good people. We know that. So number one, there's no safety in this world. That's what we learn. Second of all, and I love this, there are no coincidences in life. None. Forget about luck. It's the providence of God. How many know that you are where you are 
Because God wants you to be there. Now, you're probably not a queen in a foreign country. But wherever you are right now, God played a part in putting you there. No coincidence. And as children of God, our highest calling is to use whatever position in life we have to support the cause of Christ in the world. And so, at the end of the day, we've got to do what Esther did. Fast, pray, seek the Lord. So that when the time comes, we can do the right thing. And sometimes the right thing is the hard thing. The difficult thing. The tough choice that comes along the road of obedience to God. And we have to do what Esther did. If I perish, I perish. She said, you know what, Mordecai, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to leave it in the hands of God. That's our only choice. And that's the real meaning of if I perish, I perish. Serious words of faith spoken from a woman who had just placed her life in the hands of God. We're at the beginning of the threshold of a brand new year. Four things to go home with. Number one, God is already there. (laughs) Amen? I've gotten the habit of reading Psalm 139 every day when I first get up. He compassed my path from before and behind. He knows my downside. He knows my uprising. God is already there because God goes before his people. Number two, God has promised to be with us no matter what we face this year. He promised to be with us. And the third thing, because you're a Christian, the worst thing that can happen is also the best thing. Amen? Jason texted me today and said, uh, Forrest Dreyer had died, and he'd been serving the Lord for many, many years. He uh, pastored at Springfield for quite a while. He worked for the children's home. We've met him several times, uh, got very close to him through the years. And uh, But anyway, he's in heaven now. And I guess the worst thing that ha- could happen happened today, but the best thing too. <laughs> Number four. You will have all the time you need this year to do everything God wants you to do. Now, don't misunderstand that. Because I think it's very important, that last one. Because most of us, as we begin a new year, we are rushed and we're hurried. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Rush, rush, rush. But no matter what else may happen this next year, know for sure you're going to have all the time, all the strength, all the wisdom to do everything God wants you to do. 
Now, it doesn't mean we're going to accomplish all of our goals. It doesn't mean that all of our dreams are going to come true. Because we have to remember, we still live in a fallen world. Things break. How many notice that? Bones break, amen? Our bodies break down. Nothing works quite right. But understanding that limitation, you can have confidence that God is going to supply all we truly need according to His riches and glory. So that we can accomplish His will in the coming year. And nobody, except God, can say with certainty what this new year is going to bring. In fact, none of us know if we'll be here 12 months from now. We're not guaranteed that. But even that shouldn't cause alarm. Because the Bible simply says to cast our fears upon the Lord. And the Bible says simply, fear not. Will things get worse? Fear not. Will I lose my health? Fear not. Will I get cancer? Fear not. Will I keep my job? Fear not. Will my investments investments collapse? Fear not. Will I run out of money this year? Fear not. I called Dick today. He said, ask Rick. He got plenty of money. The Bible says, fear not. Will tragedy strike my family this year? Fear not. And I realize that any of those things may happen to us. And some of them, if we live long enough, are going to happen to us. You can't avoid them. But God's word still remains the same. Fear not. The Lord himself is with us today. And guess where he'll be tomorrow? I was reading something a few weeks ago about prayer. And this fellow confessed something. Because I thought, man, I'm guilty of that too. How many times have we prayed for a Christian brother or sister and we said, Lord, be with them? Guess what? He already is. Now, certainly it's okay to pray, be with them in a special way, draw them closer to your heart, but he already is with them. And I'm convinced that you and I, because we are Christians, we ought to be optimistic as we face a brand new year. We have a great future because we have a great God. And our God is in control. So I would say, and, and, and by the way, I need to be sitting down there. It's time to quit looking into the soup. It's time to take our problems and our fears and wrapping them up and saying, Lord, I'm going to give them to you. I want to give them to you. So am I standing here tonight saying that in 2023, it'll be a rose garden? Not at all. Every one of us will have our share of troubles. 
hard times. But remind ourselves, we need to remind ourselves often, God promised, I will never leave you or forsake you, even to the end of the age. Christmas Day, 1939. King George VI of England gave a brief radio address to his troubled nation. By that time, England was already at war with Germany, and before long, all of Europe would be plunged into war with Germany. The horror of that brutal, unrestrained warfare. And King George VI was hoping to calm the troubled hearts of his countrymen. And he offered words of comfort and encouragement as the storm clouds of war gathered overhead. He ended his remarks by quoting a previously unknown poem by Louise Haskins. The poem called The Gates of the Year. From that time it's become known worldwide. And here's what he read. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, Give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, Go out into the darkness and put your hand in the hand of God. That shall be better to you than light and even safer than a known way. That's it. Put your hand in the hand of God. What a word for us tonight. No one but God knows the future. No one but God knows what the future holds for us. But I know the one who holds the future. And we need to put our hand in the hand of the Almighty God. And we need to go out in the unknown with confidence. Knowing that if God goes with us, and He will, we don't need to fear the future. (laughs) I want to tell you folks, and I think you'll agree, To walk with the Lord is the greatest of all joys. The greatest of all joys. To walk with the Lord is greater than all joys. And without a doubt, it is safer than a known way. Let's stand together. 
Father, I love you tonight. And Lord, I confess I needed to hear these words tonight. I needed your spirit to speak to my heart, Lord, and challenge my heart to fear not. And I think that's true for all of your children. Help us, God, tonight to walk in the days ahead knowing that our God is in control and nothing can happen to us until it first passes through the fingers of you, Lord. So, Lord, help us to put our hands into the hand of the Almighty. For you are the light, and you are better than a known way. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said, Amen.